The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. To Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. This program will provide the groundwork you need to advance your awareness and be involved in the approaching transformation in consciousness. Now, your host, Peter Tung. Hello and welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. And I'm your host, Peter Tung. Thank you for joining us today. The intention in these episodes is to give you insights into how the planet is shifting in frequency and vibration to a new level of awareness and how you can be part of this grand awakening. And I'm really excited about this evening's free teleclass that I'm hosting. We've had a great response and there's still time to register for it. So we begin at 5.30 p.m. West Coast time and it is time for you to awaken to your true purpose please go to www.myheartcenteredjourney.com or one word, myheartcenteredjourney.com or the events page of my website, www.petertongue.com to register. And continuing on the awakening theme, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome my guest today, Freddie Silver, who is an expert on the phenomenon of crop circles and their link to ancient temples and sacred sites. Freddie, welcome to the show. No, thank you, Peter. Let's begin by talking a little bit about the actual ancient sacred sites and the structures that the ancients designed and built connected to these sites. Oh, it's a story that's uh, evolving even as the archaeologist's spade is turning. And, um, I mean, the more we begin to find out about ancient sacred sites and the more they begin to be revealed and coughed up by the earth, the moment we begin to realize that um, these places were around way before some massive cataclysm happened uh, around 9700 BC, to which is the date that the flood has now been uh, very reliably dated to uh, using ice core samples. And uh, we begin to see that when you start looking at all the temples and the major sites that have uh, survived all these cataclysms and politics over the years, that there was a big purpose um, as to why they were built, where they were built. Uh, there was a, certainly a geometric and a geodetic placement to all of these places. Uh, they all conform to a certain mathematical and geometric ratio uh, that is inherent in nature. So there's a lot of purpose. And um, one of the things I'm sort of researching at the moment, uh, ironically, is that uh, so many of these ancient sacred sites that we go and visit today, uh, they were originally described as primordial mounds where the, um, the light of a creator god in every culture sort of descended from heaven as this wonderful beam of light, and uh, the, uh, the knowledge of the universe was imprinted in these places. And this is a story that's basically um, echoed all around the world, uh, from India to Britain, 
even to uh, the southwest of America. It's the same thing. Uh, there's something very strange about these places that are supposed to be the uh, repository of a wealth of information that was left there for future times uh, as an insurance policy so that when humanity would lose the plot, uh, i.e. now, uh, we'd be able to go back to these places and uh, really connect with the uh, essence of universal wisdom. So these are sort of time-encoded opportunities for us to connect to now when, when we desperately need them. Absolutely. And um, they were always a, a place where you can just connect to other levels of reality. I mean, this is something that uh, science has known for a while. I mean, thousands have talked about these uh, power hotspots as places where electromagnetic forces behave very differently. Uh, we know that every sacred site in the world uh, also has certain gravitational anomalies. And the more we design machines to prove it, the more we begin to realize that the, uh, our ancestors weren't uh, or, you know, high on some kind of strange dope. They actually knew uh, about this stuff. They could see it. They could feel it. And they realized, as science now does, that uh, when you connect your body, which is electromagnetic, and you put yourself on these little hot spots, um, it only takes a small deviation of the local electromagnetic field to get you to experience shifts in awareness. Uh, you can influence your pineal gland. Uh, you can move the magnetite that sits in your head. And all of these things uh, conspire to put you in a state of awareness that connects you with a uh, what can I be described as an Akashic uh, library where you are free to go roaming to get information, uh, to get self-help, and also to bring back information for the help of others, which is what it was all about. So these centers have always been open, and they're open more now than they've ever been. And so then the, the ancients decided to, to build structures on these uh, sacred sites that, which had the natural energies flowing through the earth and, and connecting at those points. And then they built the, these other structures on top of them. What was the reason for that? Uh, there's a very interesting um, phrase that I found in the uh, Edfu texts, uh, which is that wonderful temple in Egypt uh, called the Pyramid Texts. And it talks about how no sacred site is truly sacred unless it has the uh, foundations of earlier sites imprinted upon it. So in other words, uh, we're talking about uh, primordial mounds that existed, say, in the case of Tiwanaku uh, in Bolivia at about 15,000 B.C., and subsequently, they were added to over time. So in the case of the Great Pyramids in Egypt, um, we have a primordial mound. Uh, then we have a first pyramid, which is then encased uh, in 10,000 BC by another uh, series of mounds. And then they finally finished uh, the outer casing of the stones in 2500 BC. So we're talking about something that builds over time. And what that does is... It not only replenishes the energy of the site, but by the fact that they're also working with geometry uh, and they're working with sacred number, which is derived from the measure of natural organisms. And they're also working with people who go there as pilgrims for thousands and thousands of years. They begin to actually create a space where the energy of the site or its inherent power is, of course, magnified and it's anchored to the spot uh, forevermore. And this is why we are drawn to these places. Um, I mean, the, you can be very skeptical, even going to the pyramids, you know that there's a numinous quality about these places, and you can't quite put your finger on it. And that's exactly what you're perceiving. Your body is perceiving the thousands of years of uh, consistent use uh, and replenishment of these energies through yourself, through geometry, and through stone. So the, the, the thing you're talking here about is and there are, there are many layers that are being built up, as it were, on these sites of, of intention from 
humanity, and also within the actual structures themselves, there is an energy that that amplifies the energy of that particular site. Absolutely. I mean, the Egyptians never even considered for one moment that a temple was not a living organism, and they often describe in the hieroglyphs that uh, they often call the temple a a living, breathing thing. They treated it like a person. And uh, people like uh, Shwala de Lubix, who uh, spent most of their life um, examining temples like Luxor, finally came to the conclusion that the uh, measure of the temples is done in such a way that it uses natural measurements which conform to the same harmonics as living organisms like the human body. So the net effect is that when you're walking through these places, you're walking into a mirror image of yourself. And this is why people have these wonderful experiences at these sites. Uh, you can go to Stonehenge and have the same experience because you literally are looking at a mirror of yourself. And of course, if you like what you see, the... Uh, you know, you've got to be careful what you ask for, because you might just get it when you walk into these places. Absolutely. So, uh, obviously, one of the issues that we have to realize is that we, we tend to look at our civilization as becoming more advanced and more technological in one sense. But, obviously, these temple builders had tremendous connection and knowledge. So, who, who do you think the original temple builders were, actually? Um, from uh, the research I've been following, and I'm certainly not the first person to ask this question, uh, it seems that there is a lineage of uh, human beings that descended from uh, beings who are also physical, but they were also descended from divinity. And these are the, the uh, sort of physical creator gods. Um, taking Egypt again as an example, uh, we find, you know, Jehuti, or what we call Toph, the ibis-headed god of wisdom, uh, we find that pantheon of gods who seem to be connected to an even older primordial uh, and certainly pre-deluvial set of creator gods who were themselves uh, considered to be non-physical. So this is something that has been going on for incalculable ages uh, as a, a means of communication between the physical and the spiritual. But it seems quite clear from what the Egyptians were saying that at some point, uh, way, way, way before the flood, that uh, there were different races here on Earth, some of which were far more advanced, in, certainly in technical aspects. And uh, evidence also seems to show that a lot of these people had incredible physical characteristics. And uh, there are also many uh, cases where we discuss the giants being here on Earth. Uh, there's been so many cases of giants being unearthed uh, in America, in South America, uh, also in Easter Island when the first Europeans landed there. Uh, people there were 12 feet tall, and this is uh, public record. Anybody can check this out. Uh, and even in Britain today, we have hundreds upon hundreds of places called giants' graves. And uh, surprisingly enough, uh, giant skeletons, 12 feet tall, are often dug out of these giants' graves. And strangely enough, they come with uh, some very elongated skulls. Same thing that's been happening in Egypt. Uh, if you look at the um, skull of the pharaoh Tutankhamun, for example, you'll find that his skull is elongated. And these people are part of that race of people who were here before uh, the flood, who were called the um, uh, terrestrial gods. And uh, they were the ones who basically had the information that uh, was used to repromulgate the original knowledge of the gods that were basically in the invisible form. What's really interesting about that is that the same information exists in very distant locations across the planet. Exactly. And in fact, I believe it was Graham Hancock who uh, originally made the connection linguistically when he was looking at uh, connections between Easter Island and Egypt, how so much of the Easter Island language in the way they described the gods or uh, effigies or even the Moai 
um, they had exactly the same words as the ancient Egyptians have for their cultures. And these are on opposite sides of the world. We're talking about two countries which are 180 degrees opposite each other. So, yes, there are incredible similarities in all ancient cultures throughout the world. So at some point, uh, as we've moved into our age, we've actually lost that connection. Oh, I think so. I think we're sort of rediscovering it. Um, I mean, my, uh, I, I often joke at lectures because I, I make the point that, um, you know, today we can't even uh, construct chairs that don't wobble. I mean, we go to a cafe, <laughs> you know, and you have, to get a, you have to reach over to get a packet of sugar to stick under your table because it's wobbling. And here, you know, uh, thousands of years ago, they were building pyramids uh, and uh, other sacred sites. Uh, for example, uh, the one in Baalbek in Lebanon, uh, where the foundation stones of the Roman temple go back at least 6,000 years prior to the temple. And these rocks are over 300 tons in weight. Uh, one of them apparently is 1,100 tons in weight. Uh, there are no cranes on earth that can lift that kind of thing. So they must have known something uh, that obviously we've forgotten. And although we've grown technologically smart in terms of machines, um, I think, uh, and again, reading the old transcripts of uh, different cultures where they talk about uh, gods being magicians and people having the power to move things through their words and moving rocks through the air with the sound of trumpets, um, I think they had a different kind of technology, uh, different to ours, but uh, equally as powerful. It's just a really we're so coming up to our uh, first break, so I'll have to cut you off there for a moment, but we'll return with this great and fascinating story after the break. This is Peter Tung. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Be Extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network. walk our true spiritual path at a time when the Western world is fixated on material gain? More people are now recognizing the emptiness which comes with this limited approach to life. There is another way. Four years ago, Peter Tong left his position as a high school principal with 30 years experience in the education system and turned to his true calling of a metaphysical life. He now uses his experience and wisdom to provide solutions to personal and organizational challenges. Peter offers corporate workshops and seminars, public meditations, radio interviews, healing sessions, and community visits to bring awareness of the new paradigm. The Awakening to conscious co-creation. Visit petertongue.com today to register for events and to purchase his transformative visualization meditation CDs. You can also download the meditation CDs as MP3s if you wish for listening on your computer or on the go. These are available now at petertongue.com. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. What's it like? What's it like? It's lonely. It's really lonely. I miss my brother. I miss my brother. I'm surrounded by other people, but it's not the same. I've got other people around me, but it's not the same. 
It's pretty scary, but I don't let it rattle pretty me. Pretty scary, Ryan, but I don't let it rattle me. You always have to watch your back. There's no one to watch my back. I spend my whole day worried who's out to get me. I'm always me. wondering who's out to get me. But I can take care of myself. But I can take care of myself. No matter what, I'll keep my head up. No matter what, I'll keep my head up. It's not like I have a choice. It's not like I have a choice. This'll all be over in five years, three months, and 17 days. This'll all be over in five years, three months, and 17 days. Go to jail for a gun crime and your family serves a sentence with you. Something to think about before committing a gun crime. Gun crimes hit home. This message brought to you by Project Safe Neighborhoods and the Ad Council. The new home for visionary positive change. Seventh Wave Network. Listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Hello and welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. I have with me today Freddie Silver. And Freddie, I'd love to continue our conversation by talking about what happened to these sacred sites uh, as far as the church was concerned and what they decided to do and then lead into talking about the building of the Gothic cathedrals. Yeah, it was uh, during my research into the, uh, the crop circles that I took a sort of a sidestep uh, into uh, sacred space and I went walk about in Europe. Um, just looking at the connections between the English sacred sites and the European sacred sites and seeing what uh, prevailed. And uh, it was one of those situations where I was kind of minding my own business and just being open to whatever the, uh, the landscape talks back to you. And um, I began to realize that uh, whenever I was traveling through Europe, that there was this uh, incredible uh, imposition of the uh, old sacred sites by the uh, Catholic Church. And at, at first, I didn't think much more than, you know, this is just a normal way that things happen that uh, a new order comes onto the land. They want to basically impose their will on the people, so they'll take over the sacred sites. But what didn't make any sense to me was the fact that there was so much land available, and instead of destroying the sites, they basically put crosses on top of uh, massive standing stones. They uh, enclosed these enormous dolmens and put a, uh, a front door uh, on it and little bell towers on them. And I wanted, you know, this is a lot of trouble to go to, uh, to basically get people to get into your church. Why not just build a church and get people to go? And when I began to go into these places and look at the connections, uh, what was happening energetically inside them, I suddenly realized that there was people in the church that knew exactly what they were doing because um, there was one case in particular in Portugal where there's this beautiful dolmen that for the past 4,000 years had been um, a place where the uh, feminine energies of life were uh, honored. And, in fact, there are two energy magnetic lines that run through it, which are feminine polarity. And when you go into this dolmen, which has been Christianized, there was a statue of the Virgin Mary. And the more I looked at these places and uh, talked to some colleagues of mine who had looked at exactly the same principles in, in Britain, for example, where so many St. Michael churches are built on top of um, sites which are dedicated to the masculine energy of the site, I began to realize that the church is literally taking over these places in order to accentuate their own power. 
Um, so, but in a way, they also help to preserve it, uh, as perverse as it may seem. Um, but then uh, something very strange happened. They began to basically kill off anybody that wasn't following the uh, church's doctrine. So anything that falls outside their specific uh, belief uh, was basically worshipping the devil. So uh, everything went underground. Uh, we had a lot of uh, esoteric pr- uh, principles that went underground. And uh, then the conditions were right uh, around about the 12th century when the uh, Templars, the original Knights Templars, the nine people that actually went to Jerusalem and discovered something very profound there. They came back to Europe, realizing that the church uh, has uh, basically taken the ideas of Jesus Christ in a completely different direction, and they saw an opportunity to try and revitalize the old principles of the Egyptian temple. Uh, And they did so by incorporating the sum of their knowledge into the buildings we now call the Gothic cathedrals. Uh, So in a way, it was a wonderful sick joke of uh, incorporating this information, this knowledge that they had, that they borrowed from the Temple of Solomon, into the fabric of these buildings of the people who eventually were going to kill them all. So uh, it it seems crazy at the time, but when you realize that the Templars knew that their time was up and they could not fight the forces of the Vatican and uh, Philip of France combined, uh, that the last place where the popes would look for this uh, knowledge, um, it was literally under their, their very own noses. So, in a way, the Gothic cathedrals have preserved the wisdom, uh, which is thousands upon thousands of years old, of the Egyptian temple, uh, inside their own structures. So, when you take them apart, you can see the geometry, you can see the mathematics, you can see all the laws of the universe that you would find, say, in a pyramid. So, those, all that information is preserved forever. So, so the actual information that the Templars uh, gleaned then from the Temple uh, Mans um, was, was information that went back to King Solomon's Temple and the original Egyptian, not even the original, probably pre-Egyptian, but the Egyptian sort of initiation type uh, processes. Absolutely, which of course are mirrored in uh, Vedic philosophy. They're mirrored in uh, the philosophy of uh, Bolivian uh, temples like Tiwanaku. It's the same thing. It's this uh, wonderful repromulgation of the knowledge of the gods, as they called it. Uh, this ancient wisdom, uh, which is essentially the movement of the stars. It was about how geometry works with nature. And essentially, uh, when you work with these principles, you can manipulate energy. Uh, you can manipulate magnetism, gravity. And when you can do that, you can uh, obviously interact with the human body. You get yourself out of your physical states, and you bring yourself in a position to be closer to the state of the gods. In other words, you escape your soul, your soul out of your body, and you are able to, for a few brief moments to connect with the bigger universe at uh, play and realize, A, what it, what it is that you're doing down here, and two, uh, if you do your shamanic experience properly at these temples, you can actually figure out what your purpose is and what the bigger purpose of the life mystery is all about. And by doing so, you are empowered. You are literally becoming holy in yourself. And you teach other people to do this, and slowly you are able to live your life fully aware and awake, which, of course, is something that uh, most religions don't want you to do because they want to have a middle man kind of thing going on here. So all of this stuff was very threatening to any um, endocrine system that was religious-based. And this is one of the reasons why they shut the temples down, why they basically burn people at the stake. And we have the situation that we're in today where we're all beginning to realize and wake up to the fact that something isn't right. We need to connect with these places because, you know, a certain degree, we've lost our sense of self-empowerment. So, Freddie, do me a favor. And, and one of my favorite places on the planet is Chartres Cathedral in, uh, in just outside Paris in France. 
just take us for a little stroll through the cathedral and when you go there, what, what you're looking out for and what the key elements are in, in one of the Gothic cathedrals. Oh, we could be here for hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a fast uh, walk. <laughs> it's a very fast walk. Um, one of the things I really appreciate in these buildings is, uh, first of all, you look at the, the facade, you look at the physical attributes of things, uh, and that's the first layer of interpretation, and that's how they design them. It gets you into that awful awe and splendor of the place. Uh, the second time and the third time that you go back, you begin to see subtle things out of the corner of your eye. You see things which are different from architectural norm. In other words, there are deviations from standard building practice, and that's the things you start looking at. You start looking at angels in the wrong places. You start looking at little symbols on the doorways, and that's when you begin to realize that there are certain strategic hotspots along the nave of uh, Chartres Cathedral, uh, like any other Gothic cathedral, where if you happen to stand in front of these little things, you feel very, very different. Uh, for example, if you stand in front of the statue of the Black Madonna, uh, you tend to get a sense of going very, very deep into the earth. And if you go there feeling a little bit sort of unwell uh, or even feeling out of balance, it will actually um, stimulate that out-of-balancedness and you actually start feeling a bit ill. So the trick is to go there in a very balanced state of awareness. And if you then proceed over to the altar, uh, which is always an interesting word. I mean, 100 years ago, it was being spelled with an E in England. So you've got to make you wonder, you know, what is it altering? And of course, what it's altering at Chartres the position of the altar is the position of the original crypt and the original Druidic temple, which stood on Neolithic foundations, which stood on an old um, uh, prehistoric navel of the earth. In other words, a, uh, an, a stone on phallos, literally a navel stone. And that's where you really sort of connect with, uh, as I say, with, with the fairies. You, you're off on a different planet. And if you have a moment just to sit there and, and stand there in peace and quiet, you get a sense that there's a spiral of energy uh, crawling up under you. Uh, and that's exactly what is happening. Uh, many thousands have actually looked for spirals of water, uh, which are also moving the magnetic properties of the site around the, the area. And when you stand at the altar, you can actually feel the combination of all of these underground springs spiraling under your feet. And that's when you become holy. You literally are energizing the electromagnetic field of your body. And if you're able to be left alone for a few minutes, uh, you can see some incredible things uh, at places like that. So it, it's uh, important just to go around looking for little things which are slightly out of normal, and, you, and then you follow the route and you find where to go. And one of the things there, you talk about the spiral, is the two spires are different. And Absolutely. Also, and there's also a well in the bottom, isn't there? Absolutely, which is, uh, gets very close to the primordial temple. And, of course, the two spires, one relates to the numerical values of the sun, the other one to the numerical values of the moon, which tells us that this is a site of balance. It's a, a place of masculine and feminine polarity. It's a place of absolute balance and perfection, which is one reason why the Templars uh, would have chosen those sites. And it's all to do with the, uh, um, the geometry of the eight-pointed star, which is, in esoteric terms, it's about balance in the, uh, the, the physical and also the ethereal. And, of course, it was the one thing that we're all searching for, a balance on both sides of the equation of the physical and the uh, spiritual, masculine and the feminine, which is why uh, the word Jesus uh, was always carried, in ancient times, always carried the value of 888 numerically. So all of these things are intertwined. Now, there's a big embarrassment for the, the priests of Chartres Cathedral, which is the labyrinth, which they don't like to acknowledge very much. What, they what don't, is, do they? What is the purpose of that? 
The purpose of the labyrinth, and I've been very uh, happy to be a good friend with uh, Marty Kane, who's one of the world's best creators of labyrinths, and uh, she was actually informing me on this, that one of the things that labyrinths generally tend to make you do is to get you to walk from right to left, left to right, always in balanced formation. And what that does when you're walking consciously like that is that you begin to trigger the left and right hemispheres of your brain, but also you get to move the uh, positive and negatively charged polarities of the electromagnetic human body. And by the time you get to the center, if you're doing this consciously, of course, uh, what happens is you create a chemical reaction and basically you connect a circuit uh, within yourself. You literally are having an out-of-body experience. And by the virtue of the fact that the labyrinth of Chartre, like so many others, is also built on top of a spiral of water, uh, also means that the water, which is highly charged and carries a, a memory, also influences your body because you are also made of 70% water. So all of Ready, I've got a call to a stop there as we come into our second break. This is Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure, what's up? Um, there's this girl I kind of like. Well, if there's one thing I know, it's women. Really? Well, they didn't call me velvet for nothing. I don't get it. Smooth. I was smooth. Oh. Anyway, it's easy. You just got to impress her. Show her how strong you are. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? I don't know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt, if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, Ugh! Try it. Ugh! Ugh! <laughs> See? There you go. And you should dress up. Start wearing a shirt and tie. I'll look like a dork. No, you'll look successful. Okay. And finally, you can start using my cologne. <clears throat> the ladies love it, so don't be shy. Splash it on. Thanks, Dad. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To find out how you can adopt, please visit our website at adoptuskids.org or call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. How do we walk our true spiritual path at a time when the Western world is fixated on material gain? More people are now recognizing the emptiness, which comes with this limited approach to life. There is another way. Four years ago, Peter Tung left his position as a high school principal with 30 years experience in the education system and turned to his true calling of a metaphysical life. He now uses his experience and wisdom to provide solutions to personal and organizational challenges. Peter offers corporate workshops and seminars, public meditations, radio interviews, healing sessions, and community visits to bring awareness of the new paradigm. The Awakening to conscious co-creation. Visit petertongue.com today to register for events and to purchase his transformative visualization meditation CDs. You can also download the meditation CDs as MP3s if you wish for listening on your computer or on the go. These are available now at petertongue.com. Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network.
listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Hello and welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host Peter Tung. And just a reminder that I have this free teleclass happening this evening, 5.30 p.m. West Coast time to help you awaken to your true purpose. Please go to www.myheartcenteredjourney.com to sign up for this evening's event. And we are indeed talking about awakening to your true purpose today with Freddie Silver. Before the break, Freddie was talking about the Gothic cathedrals, and I was getting quite carried away in the labyrinth <laughs> of Chartres Cathedral with him. But now we want to shift our focus a little bit because Freddie has quoted uh, Gothic cathedrals in wheat uh, as a description of the crop circles. And I know this is uh, very dear to your heart, Freddie. So tell us all about the crop circles. You know, uh, back about... Twelve years ago, when I began to uh, write the, um, the first book on crop circles, uh, as I said, my first book on crop circles, um, I had no idea how connected these things were to ancient sacred sites and cathedrals until I began to pull the whole thing apart, all the designs in wheat apart, and then realized that all the crop circles that we've had all the way into 1678, and 1510, because they are far older than the modern era, um, they happen to incorporate exactly the same principles of knowledge uh, that went into building these modern uh, monuments. Uh, for example, some of the uh, early crop circles, which are simple circles with rings, and they connect by a, a little straight lines. When you actually look at the geometry that's inherent inside the, uh, the, the visual design, you basically release a whole library of information. And it's the same thing with the Gothic Cathedral. Uh, for example, we're talking in between the break, how if you look at the encompassing geometry of Chartres, it's, uh, the entire building is held within a pentagram. And inside that pentagram is another pentagram which subpends the columns around the altar, which eventually leads to the nodal point of the labyrinth. So what you see is not necessarily what you get. So that was the first clue these designs in week were very, very different to the naked eye. The second revelation was the fact that, like all sacred sites around the world, without exception, all the major uh, genuine crop circles are all hearing on the crossroads of the invisible lines of the Earth's uh, lines of force, that is, the magnetic lines of the Earth's grid. So depending on how the magnetic line is behaving at the time, because these things obviously shrink and expand depending on uh, the energy of the planet, and what's interacting with it at the time, uh, it will define the actual diameter and the size of the crop circle that manifests there. And, of course, the connection between the ancient sacred sites and the crop circles is that in both cases, uh, we have hundreds of cases of people who are not only experiencing heightened states of awareness in uh, both, but also they go there, even the skeptics, and they experience healing. So that's where I began to realize that the crop circles were something... Uh, of uh, a new kind of uh, modern temple that was appearing all across the earth. So, Fred, you seem to have picked up a, a bit of an echo on your voice, Freddie. Has something changed on your telephone line there? No, it hasn't, and I noticed oh, that's that. You did notice it? Okay. Yeah. So, obviously, someone is joining you. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> 
So uh, explain to us how the crop circles are actually formed. They, uh, contrary to what you will hear uh, on um, television <laughs> or what you read on Wikipedia, uh, the crop circles are actually um, emanations of energy. Uh, they have been witnessed by at least oh, uh, 80 eyewitnesses around the world, uh, including uh, military people, police people, and they talk about this beam of energy that comes out of the sky in bright daylight or in the middle of darkness, and they will actually imprint a geometrical shape in 15 seconds right in front of their very eyes on uh, wheat, on potatoes, on trees, uh, also on ice. And so these crop circles are the expression of an underlying energy which comes straight out of the atmosphere and God knows where else it comes from. But the result is that they have these incredible geometric shapes which are very, very close and almost direct expressions of the same laws that govern sound. In other words, when you throw sounds at a physical substance like water and you uh, photograph it, you'll get back exactly the same geometrical shape and structure as you find in the crop circles. So, Freddie, I think we need to, to go to a break here because there's definitely something happening on, on your line which is creating this very strange sound and echo. Yes, it's but very we'll go, to, we'll go to break and we'll try and get that sorted out. Sure. It's Peter Tongue for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. How do we walk our true spiritual path at a time when the Western world is fixated on material gain? More people are now recognizing the emptiness, which comes with this limited approach to life. There is another way. Four years ago, Peter Tong left his position as a high school principal with 30 years experience in the education system and turned to his true calling of a metaphysical life. He now uses his experience and wisdom to provide solutions to personal and organizational challenges. Peter offers corporate workshops and seminars, public meditations, radio interviews, healing sessions, and community visits to bring awareness of the new paradigm. The Awakening to conscious co-creation. Visit petertongue.com today to register for events and to purchase his transformative visualization meditation CDs. You can also download the meditation CDs as MP3s if you wish for listening on your computer or on the go. These are available now at petertongue.com. When you have a stroke, you may not even notice it right away. But then... Time passes, and the symptoms get worse. One minute you feel fine, and the next, your speech could be slurred or not make sense. One side of your body might become numb. You might see double. You drop the TV remote because you can't hold up your arm. That's because, after a stroke, every minute you don't get help is another minute that your brain is being starved of oxygen. The warning signs of a stroke include sudden numbness or weakness of the face, arm, or leg, sudden trouble seeing, speaking, or understanding. If you experience any of these warning signs, call 911 immediately, because time lost is brain lost. 
Visit strokeassociation.org or call 1-888-4-STROKE today. A public service announcement from the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Be extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network. Listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Hello and welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. Before the break, I was talking with Freddie Silver, about crop circles and how they are formed. So, Freddie, please continue with that. I think we, have, we went into the conspiracy theory part of the program where I was <laughs> feared with. <laughs> um, yes, as we were saying, um, these things are expressions of an energy form uh, which are consistent with the, um, the idea behind the laws of sound. And uh, that's one of the, the first things that led me to understand that uh, part of the uh, way that they are created uh, is not just electromagnetically, because obviously people have witnessed these beams of light. And in fact, I've actually uh, captured on one occasion these beams on camera as well. And being a professional photographer, I can tell you uh, that it wasn't an anomaly of the, of the camera either. Uh, but one of the main reasons that was actually behind them and uh, was the fact that they're so uh, similar to the designs that we find when we throw sound at liquid and then photograph it, and uh, the shapes are almost identical. Uh, and um, from there, it was a sort of a leap of logic uh, to go and look at some physics and find out what happens above and below the human hearing range and discover that the effects of ultrasound and infrasound actually corresponded to all the physical effects that were happening on the soil. So, for example, uh, when we find in the genuine circles that the plants are bent without any damage uh, and the water inside them has been uh, basically boiled in a fraction of a second, leaving these little uh, scars on the outside of the plant and also these little uh, holes in the nodes of the plant, uh, all of those things are consistent with the uh, processes involved in infrasound, which do actually boil uh, water in about one nanosecond and then expand the water. Uh, They exploit the weakest part of the plant, which is the node, and in the genuine circles, you will see a little hole in the nodes, which shows that the water has basically been expulsed out of it. So this is very much a, a fascinating f- phenomenon and certainly way beyond uh, the capability of the hoaxes. Although there are a few hoax uh, circles created. Oh, absolutely. How, how do you know very quickly that it's a hoax or a genuine circle? Uh, the quick way to find out is look for the construction lines. And uh, if you actually have no time and you happen to be just uh, passing by and you want a quick idea of what's going on there, uh, you will find that if you have a quick look at the design on the ground and you apply a little bit of uh, lateral thinking and you think, if I was going to make this with a piece of wood uh, or a garden roller, uh, where would I start? Where would be my iteration point and how, what kind of a geometry would I proceed from there? And you just follow your, uh, the curve of your eye and uh, the ground and you uh, lift up the first layer of down crop and you, re- and you can see the tracer lines underneath the crop. And that's usually a very good ind- indication that people have actually outlined the design and then filled it in. It's kind of like children learning how to draw for the first time, uh, which is a very good analogy because the ones made by people uh, are usually very rough and also very damaged because you've had to use a physical object to crush the plants. 
So one of the things that will differentiate it as well on the ground is the fact that in the genuine circles, uh, and I have been to many, for the first, I mean, I used the first person there, uh, these things are literally floating above the soil. I mean, it's the most incredible experience you'll ever have, and I often feel guilty about going into them because I, I'm the first person to actually crush the plants with my own feet. Yeah, yeah. So some of these designs also are incredibly complex. So what, what, are, the, what are the different designs trying to tell us? Originally, I was working uh, with a wonderful channeler in England who was uh, called Isabel Kingston, who has actually worked uh, with the police uh, for on many occasions to solve crimes uh, with a near 100% record. So when one day she decides to uh, inadvertently vector this information from uh, a consciousness that's telling her about this uh, future set of symbols that will be appearing, uh, primarily over the south of England, uh, she had no idea what one that she was receiving. I mean, there was no idea what a, what a crop circle was back in 1980. And uh, they gave her indications of where they were going to appear and what they were going to look like and where. And sure enough, within seven days, she went to these sites, and there they were. And uh, from some of her trance readings, I was getting the information that the circles operate on two levels. Uh, one of them is conscious, which is that these circles are designed to get our attention, and because of that, they are non-denominational, they are cross-cultural, and therefore they are based originally on symbols that can be interpreted mostly by original native tribes. So uh, when we uh, talk to the Aboriginal cultures or the Hopi cultures or the Navajo cultures and show them the symbols, they react very emotionally because uh, they have a lot of the symbols already carved on a lot of the stones uh, at their sacred sites. So this is a primeval language of communication, uh, but the main body of the, uh, of the communication was said to be um, subconscious, and that is that because uh, people, uh, humans tend to get you know, with their heads in the way, and we start to rationalize and logicalize everything, uh, in order to bypass this uh, filter, and in the intellectual filter, they encoded the geometry into the designs to get them to talk to the geometry of the human body. Now, that might seem a bit strange, but when you consider that when you look at cathedrals and pyramids and crop circles, the geometry is hidden within the design. And uh, when you look at uh, human DNA, you look at the crystalline structure of human DNA, we are made of uh, crystals bonded one to another in the shape of pentagrams and hexagrams, which ironically happens to be the predominant geometry of all of these ancient sacred sites and crop circles. So that suddenly made a lot of sense that this, the crop circles are speaking to people on a subconscious level, and then uh, we start to rationalize it. And when we begin to rationalize it, we see that we have uh, technological blueprints that we've extracted from them. Uh, we've extracted five new mathematical theorems from them, and so forth. So there is uh, a new kind of science that's been created from these things. And eventually, uh, in the channeled material, we are told that uh, we would learn to combine this information from a rational point of view and create uh, machines that can, de can defy gravity. And I have talked to two groups of scientists in Britain and Australia who have built uh, machines based on the original design and photograph of the cover of my book, uh, which is a beautiful uh, design back in 1991 called the Barbary Castle Tetrahedron. And they designed it on those principles, and they've got the devices to actually uh, uh, defy gravity. So we obviously are proving these things uh, correct. So in fact, we're returning back to the technology that was known back in the ancient of days in terms of the pyramid, pyramid building then. Uh, it's quite ironic, isn't it, uh, that uh, the circle makers, in a way, are helping us to um, go beyond our perception of how the universe really exists 
uh, and trying to basically give us information that we can use for our benefit so we can basically, I don't know, at this point you begin to wonder, is it to do with the alteration of consciousness? I'd say yes. Uh, it's also to do with our understanding of how we can improve the world by not relying so much on fossil fuels since we're talking about an, uh, anti-gravity here. Um, I mean, I even have uh, technology which is now even healing people. I mean, people actually get healed by looking at some of the images of the circles and so forth. So we're obviously dealing with something very subtle, uh, which, of course, was the uh, way that was done back in, you know, five, 6,000 B.C. I mean, we're talking about the, um, the origin of the workings with geometry and sound to cure people. Uh, it seems as if we are not only rediscovering what the ancients knew, but we're also going to be able to use it in a way that uh, utilizes our know-how technologically, and the two become seamlessly combined. And do you know how, how the healing works through that geometry and sand? Uh, it's very subtle, and it's also uh, on magnetic channels. Um, years ago, I designed some healing cards, um, which you can, you can actually see on my site. It's a very huge story. But uh, to boil it down to a nutshell, um, it was about looking at the actual uh, photographs, unaltered photographs of the crop circles, which carried the energy of the original design. Now, um, the, the people in, in Peru, if you try to take the, their picture, uh, and also a lot of ancient cultures, if you try to take their photograph, they'll tell you that you're taking this part of their soul away. And I think there's something to it, uh, because when I was working with the Institute of Resonance Therapy in Germany, they were actually healing organisms at a distance using symbols. And one day they used the symbols of the crop circles to treat people and uh, also forests in distress and uh, to clean up rivers in Russia using a machine, using the symbols of the crop circles. And they were able to do it. And they did it in a very methodical, scientifically measured way. So when I designed the cards to basically hand out to people, uh, I found it was the same principle, that there's something that is retained energetically in these symbols that when people use them in an open way, uh, strange things start to happen to the way that uh, their body reacts. And people have been cured so far of um, uh, retinal tumors. Uh, they've been cured of um, uh, all kinds of afflictions that they've suffered for for years. So there's obviously something here that works on a very subtle level, almost like homeopathy. And, and I've seen also you mentioned about coding of the earth and coding of, of water. Can you just explain that a little bit as well? Yeah, the uh, biggest connection between the crop circles and the ancient sacred sites was the fact that they were all present on water. In other words, there's lots of underground bodies of water. Well, they were always appearing uh, where there is access to underground deposits or nearby rivers. So water is a prime elemental feature of every sacred site in the world, even in desert countries, um, because under the pyramids you still have streams of water going around. But it's the same thing with the circles. And when we began to take photographs uh, in the infrared spectrum of crop circles, we found that there was a lot of water missing when they appeared, which was a, uh, a way that uh, infrasound basically works to uh, dehydrate the soil. But when we began to realize that we could bury bottles of water in the crop circles and also outside and then send them to France to be analyzed uh, in blind laboratory experiments, we found that the, uh, the samples that came from within the crop circles and only the genuine ones, they appear to have been coded up to 151% above normal state, which means that there's a frequency imprinting itself in the actual water. So when you look at the crop circles and the temples that appear uh, on top of deposits of water and on, and on top of underground aquifers, the, uh, the implication is that the water in these places, and if it's been coded, it's going off into the rivers, it's going off into the seas around the world, and if you follow the homeopathic principle, the more you code an original substance, 
the more you dilute it, the stronger it becomes. So in a way, it's a wonderful process that crop circles are doing to imprint knowledge and a change of, uh, let's say, frequency on the earth by coating the very water which, on which we rely. And of course, if we're drinking of this water and our body is also two-thirds water and the, uh, the oceans of the world occupy two-thirds of the body of the planet, then the implications are astonishing. There's a huge change taking place. Wow. Fascinating stuff. Now, Freddie, there's all sorts of uh, talk about uh, 2012 and the future and what's coming up. So from your experience working with the crop circles and how this is all evolving and developing, what's your own view of what's, what's around the corner for us? Oh, I think we've been in 2012 for at least the last 400 years. Uh, <laughs> you know, things tend to happen very glacially here on Earth, and uh, nothing is ever very mechanical, even though we are part of this big mechanical process of you know, the Earth linking to the stars and its position in the solar system and so forth. So 2012 literally is a mechanical event, but uh, is something going to happen on uh, December 21st? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I plan to be uh, in a, uh, I don't know, a cafe in Paris in January 2013 having a good time. Um, I think if a mass amount of people want something bad to happen, something will happen. Uh, you know, the, the revelation be, becomes uh, self-effective. Uh, but I think it's part of a huge uh, potential for humanity. It's part of a cyclical change which takes about 4,300 years to complete. And we've, we're coming to the close of that cycle. But within that mechanical closure point, we are operating within a 600-year window. And as you notice, in the last 100 years or so, things are getting a little bit out of control. And what the universe is asking us to do is to move forward to accept a new level of reality. Now, I think we're getting very close to achieving that change in consciousness. I, I think that, that we are close to hitting that critical mass. And what happens is if we don't reach it by 2012, I think the window starts narrowing, and then it gets harder to achieve that new threshold where we you know, start to uh, go into a new level of, of consciousness where we basically start working not just with our head but also with our heart as well, uh, possibly for the first time in, in tens of thousands of years. So that's what it means to me, and I, I find it strange and also coincidental that the... Uh, the sudden rise in the 21st century of the crop circles is coinciding very nicely with the opening of all the sacred sites around the world as well. There's a, a new awareness that's appearing on the land. And even if people are not consciously aware of it, they know that there's something different that's happening. And they are visiting these places of, of uh, sanctity uh, for the first time in their lives. They've come back totally changed. So it, I think it's part of, the, of this bigger picture. Uh, so, someone is helping us to open our eyes so that we can move forward and become, well, as I hope you said, uh, with the change we wish to see. So, Freddie, we're coming up to the end of the show, unbelievably. Just very quickly, give us your website so people can connect uh, on, on your wonderful material. Oh, sure. Um, www.cropcirclesecrets.org. And from there, you can go to my other sacred site, um, the, the website and the sacred sites as well. Uh, plenty of, uh, lots of information to read there. Super. Well, thank you so much. I'm sorry to cut you off so quickly. We need to spend at least another hour chatting about things. Thank you so <laughs> much for today's show. Really appreciate Thanks, it. Peter. So I'm really looking forward to my guest next week also is Richard Flyer, who will be talking about weaving conscious community across the planet. Please do register for my free teleclass tonight at myheartcenterjourney.com, my monthly newsletter at petertongue.com. Follow me on Twitter, join the Awakening for Conscious Co-Creation Facebook group, or join my mailing list for regular updates. Peter Tang for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation, wishing you a wonderful week.
that you found this week's show to be enlightening and inspiring. Please join host Peter Tong for another edition of Awakening to Conscious Creation next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.